Um, that's a lie. I, I actually probably need to go to B&Q and buy more paint because uh, turns out one of the most complicated things known to man is just how many different types of white paint there are. <laughs> Do you know, there's a really good Dulux one um, that goes on pink and then dries white so you can yeah. see. I just, I just don't get it because I, I wanted white, but this is like white. So it's not white enough, but it's white. <laughs> you guys are making a podcast. Ugh, no one asked for this. So welcome to the podcast nobody asked for with me, Ian Harries. And me. And this week we will be talking about our favourite films that we didn't actually understand. Which is yeah. nice. I feel like we should have gone like full Twin Peaks and done that whole intro backwards. So maybe I'll just reverse it. We'll just we'll just start again and we'll play it in reverse instead. So I'm confused as to what's going on now. Actually, I don't understand it, Ian. Well, hey, classic. And for, for me, I, I think this this is the most I've been looking forward to recording an episode in quite some time. Because, and I'm hoping you remember this, but about a week ago, you messaged me this. <laughs> Just in case I forget, remind me to talk about penguins in the intro. Yes, I did message you that. <laughs> so... Pray tell. <laughs> so I don't know if I've ever told you this story before. It's completely unrelated to anything to do with the uh, <laughs> with the uh, episode itself. And I don't remember if I told you this when it happened or not. I've just moved and I'm going through like all of the crap that you have to go through when you move. And I've got with through- penguins with penguins. Um, yeah, because notoriously they they don't like change. But no, um, I've. I've gone through and I've got like loads of documents from like uh, that should have been chucked into kind of bags and stuff that I just need to get through, need to shred all of it. I'm, I'm just going through it and going through it. Anyway, I found one the other day from a place called, um, I had a letter from a place called Paradise Wildlife Park. Okay. So I had booked, this is years and years ago, for my, for my ex to feed uh, some penguins as like an experience thing for a birthday present or something. Okay at this paradise wildlife park and it's one of those things where you kind of like buy it and then you've got like a year to redeem it anyway yeah i bought this 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 experience thing and a couple of months had gone by i hadn't booked it hadn't put in the books yet and i received a letter from from paradise wildlife park um and it said something along the lines of we're really sorry but you're not going to be able to take part in um the penguin feeding experience because all of how penguins have died (laughs) (laughs) which is obviously (laughs) not funny but also hilarious at the same time because i was just not expecting it yeah i could just imagine like you were like you know bright-eyed and youthful like oh darling we got a letter from the wildlife park Opening it, it's just like, to whom it may concern. <laughs> Unfortunately, all the penguins have died. <laughs> yeah. If you would uh, like to feed a penguin to another animal, <laughs> we can transfer your booking. Yeah, but just just do it quickly. But yeah, it was it was one of the more bizarre letters I've I've ever received. It turns out there was like some weird I don't know if it was bird flu or something similar that had ripped through this colony of penguins. But yeah, there were there were no penguins left to feed. <laughs> 
no penguins left to feed sounds like a slogan for like a very aggressive greenpeace advert yeah or it's like it's the um it's the follow up to and was it an inconvenient truth <laughs> yeah no more penguins so long and thanks for all the fish yeah so cuz yeah. it's yeah Oh, cool right absolutely That's... unrelated but um as i was i was going through the letters the other day and I, I thought i had to tell you about it i will be thinking about that letter for a very long time <laughs> oh this is one of those episodes i have no idea where to go from there i'll tell you where we'll go we'll go on to talking about films that i don't understand and i bloody hated and i think i've told you about this many times before but The Tree of Life is the most annoying thing I've ever watched. Yes. So I have once again confused this in my mind because I always... Mi- this isn't a Hugh Jackman film. No, it's not. It has Sean no. Penn and Brad Pitt in it. Okay. So red flag number one. Sean Penn is in it. <laughs> it won the Oscar in 2011 for best best film. It's got Jessica Chastain Fuck. in it as well. In 2011? Yeah, well, it came out in 2011, so maybe it was the 2012 one. So let's let's have a look and see. Let, let's get unnecessarily and unwarrantedly angry about what it beat out, shall we? 2000, the, the Oscars in 2011 was the... Uh... Oh, no, it got nominated. Sorry. So The Tree of Life got nominated. You said nominated or you said one? I said one. I thought it won Best Picture. No, so it was nominated for Best Picture. Um, because that was the year the artist won everything. Oh, okay. Uh, I tell you what I did then. This was one of the years where I decided to buy everything that was nominated for Best Picture and watch them. Oh wow, you've got some weird films. Yeah. So the artist, ah, the, dis- I the Descendants. You. Yeah, no, it was it won the um, Palm Door that year. Ah, okay. That's what it won, and then it was nominated for Best Picture. Best Director and Best this, Cinematography. This isn't a great year for Best Pictures, to be fair. The Artist, The Descendants, Extremely Loud and incredible, Incredibly Close, which I think is a film nobody's thought of since. The Help, Hugo, which to be fair, great film, but I wouldn't say is Best Picture. Midnight in Paris, which we aren't going to touch with the barge pole. Moneyball, which is probably the best one there. The Tree yeah. of Life and War Horse. Yeah, but no, I, so I, yeah, it was, it was, I'm confusing the, the win of Oscar, uh, Oscar win with the uh, Palm Door, but either way, it didn't deserve either because it is just ridiculous. It is, it is Terence Malick like jacking off over the fact that he has got access to do whatever the hell he wants with a with a camera and thirty two million dollars. I'm trying to think of what my favorite or my least favorite movie that I didn't understand would be, and there's definitely a couple. Like I've. We'll rehash an old conversation in a minute. Have you watched Mr. Nobody? Um, so is that the? It's a Jared Leto one. Oh no, it's not the one I'm thinking of. Where it's like, yeah, it just feels like they tried to make a really confusing movie. Oh, it's got Juno Temple. Yeah, like I had no idea what the fuck was going on, and not in like the good way. Yeah, if that makes sense. Because I mean, some again, some of the films we'll be talking about on this episode, I have, no, I still have no idea what was going on. But this was just like, what? What's the point? There is, yeah. it is too. There is too little holding everything together, and it made it. It kind of goes a bit like sliding Dawsey at a place. Right. So it's like his, and then the Big Bang is kind of involved, but possibly not. And the, he's the also TV series or the uh, intergalactic event. The intergalactic event. But some would say the TV series wasn't. <laughs> I hate the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> I, I hate it so much. Yeah. Yeah, like he's young and old. 
and not and both. <laughs> he's he's the so this is the the plot. Uh, it tells the life story of Nemo Nobody, an 118 year old man who is the last mortal on Earth after the human race has achieved quasi immortality. The film has a na- non-linear narrative that incorporates the multiverse hypothesis. Good for them. I mean, the the last mortal on Earth, given that everyone else is now immortal, is actually... I mean, that does sound quite interesting as a concept. Yeah, like, it could have been, but they decided to make it all... Like, so it, it kind of... it kind This kind of brings me on to, like, the conversation we've had before of, now, I'm not saying this film was bad, but... Inception kicked off this thing where people thought confusing meant good. Yeah. Well, not even Inception. I would blame Donnie Darko. Now I think about it. Yeah, I suppose so. Because you had Donnie, da- and you had a, there was a wave of films, right? Because like the butterfly effect felt like Donnie Darko, but with Ashton Kutcher and um. Yeah, because you also had with that. Is it the act, the proper ending for the butterfly? No, so the butterfly effect where he strangles himself in the womb. So I think that's the director's cut of it. Right. I think the the what we will refer to as the cop-out ending that didn't involve baby self-suicide was... Um, baby self-suicide a, is definitely a bad name. Sorry, just throwing yeah. it out there. You can add the jingle in. Bad name. That's a bad name. As, as we often come to, bad name. I'd say that. Definitely a bad name. Um, so it was like he goes back in time so that they never meet. Right, okay. Yeah, that um, is the cop-out ending, isn't it? And then they pass each other in the street as adults and they both look back at each other like, oh, hey. you know, that ending that has been in like multiple films yeah, yeah. of a similar thing. Yeah, I blame Donnie Darko. I'm going to count Donnie Darko as like patient zero for the modern idea of... Because then for a while, then after The Dark Knight, Things started going a bit dark as well, and then maybe maybe Inception brought us back onto confusing means good. Well, so weirdly, Donnie Darko was the butterfly effect. He it was the butterfly. Oh, good God, man! Good God, God! I to be fair, like I liked the butterfly effect. I thought it I, it was a, it was a completely trash film, but it was oh, I fun, I, fun is probably the wrong word, but I, I, I enjoyed, enjoyed it. it. I, I absolutely enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I give it giving it a bit of bad. Is there a bit where he ends up as a quadriplegic? In yes. It? Yeah. Or at least with no arms. Or no legs. He's missing things. He's missing things. Yeah. Yeah. Because then... The, it, uh, fuck yeah, I, I can't remember. Because then he has to change how he travels through time? I think so. This is fun. We should just we should just change the concept of the podcast of Ian and Graham remember movies they haven't seen for ten years. And then I Amy mean, Smart... That would... <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, that's that's every movie from the nineties, isn't it? And then Amy yeah. Smart and Jason and Ashton Biggs. Kutcher. It's a bit, it's a bit confusing. <laughs> Scene. Yeah, I mean, I, just as a as a future episode idea, top three films we think we can kind of remember would be fantastic because my memory is terrible at the best of times. Let alone for a film I haven't seen in fifteen years. So would we rate it by accuracy? Yeah, a- accuracy. 
like times by the length of time since we last saw it. Yeah, I think so. We need to, we have to get some kind of complex scoring algorithm up there. Yeah, so I need to try and think of something I saw when I was like eight or nine and haven't seen since. <laughs> or uh, bonus points if you watched it late at night. <laughs> yeah, or drunk. Yeah, I mean, I, I my, my go-to for that is always uh, uh, Warriors of Virtue, a film I have talked about multiple times on the podcast, which is Ninja the film Kangaroos. with like, Ninja Kangaroos. Yeah, and nobody back in the days pre IMDb, nobody believed me when I said it was a film. It was like, are you sure? Are you sure you're not thinking of like Tank Girl? It's like, no, no, it's not fucking Tank Girl. They were Ninja Kangaroos. <laughs> It is a film, it happened, and I think I found one other person who was also awake at the same time and scrolled over to, like, Channel 5 and it was on. <laughs> it was like, there we go, look, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. No, you're, you're completely sane, Ian, and that film definitely exists. Ah, uh, classic. But yeah, what, what about, we can, uh, we, we, can, we can keep on the confusing uh, tangent. We're talking about yeah. movies today. Yeah. Uh, what is your favourite confusing TV show? Because there's definitely a fuck ton of those. Oh, um... Early Days Lost. Yeah, season one of Westworld. I didn't make it past season one of Westworld, but I really enjoyed it, but also was was quite um, confusing. I'll also throw out that, and I stopped watching this because I, I didn't really like it. I know you're you're going to get all upset because of who the lead is, but um, The Witcher um, started oh. off really confusing because there was no, with the converging timelines and stuff, but no like actual awareness that that was going on um, yeah which... the, the the twist was that it was converging timelines and i don't think it landed quite as well as they hoped it would no because the fact that it didn't all make a lot of sense as you were watching it kind of turned me off a bit and i never got to the point where i you know where there was the twist they the reference they they reference that in the second series that yeah. it was really confusing and made no sense because <laughs> i i think the bard is uh he just goes you know what i'm just gonna Someone comments on a song he wrote and said it was really difficult to follow because of all the timelines. He's like, yeah, we're just going to keep it simple. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for, for, for me, um, if, if you thought Westworld Season 1 was on your list, wait until you see Season 2. I've watched all of Westworld and I still don't know what happened in Season 2. Excellent. Like, I think it was great. And, you know, like, genre-defining sci-fi experience and all that shit. But I have no idea what was happening. And not in like a who's a robot, who isn't a robot. Like I have no idea what's Wait, going on. They were robots. It's <laughs> a <laughs> so, funny, funny bit of. Uh, I know there uh, were robots here, and it was uh, it was uh, a joke. I was lampooning. I think that's. I see, I see what you did there. <laughs> did you watch the OA? Yes, I did. That um, was weird. I'm not sure if I liked strange. it. That was weird. I think I liked it because <laughs> it was like. Multiverse through yoga, or through like fucking yeah dance moves, or something. There was the whole like yeah, you had to get the moves right, and then it was it was similar to is it Saint Maud, where you yes where everything was happening, but you didn't know if there were you know if it was bullshit or if it was like if she was insane or if these things were true, and then it kind of gets revealed at the end that maybe it is both, but also maybe it's neither yeah yeah which i think both both but neither is going to be a catchphrase for this episode <laughs> yeah and talking it was of kind of same same all Maud of them, but none. fantastic um, oh saint Maud's incredible it was um yeah nothing like what i thought it would be in the best possible way yeah absolutely yeah really enjoyed that film 
Yeah. But yeah, you're right. I think it I think we need I think more and more people are getting the confusing doesn't necessarily mean good. But also I think that you know, and I'm sure we'll talk about it a lot today, but there are a lot of confusing films that are good. It's just and I'll get on one one of my choices was confusing was good but would have been better if it was less confusing yeah so like out of my choices one of them i definitely is definitely one of my favorite films yeah one of them i think could be a masterpiece and the other one is either a masterpiece or is one of the worst films ever made (laughs) and i still don't know which one it is Yeah, that's 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 the problem. I mean, I I think kind of confusing stuff, especially with TV. I I think with kind of streaming and stuff like that. So with TV shows, confusing stuff seems to be happening because, like, it's bingeable. Yeah, and I'll give you an example of a confusing one. There's a very very good TV show. Is Russian Doll? Yes. Yeah, but I watched that all in one go. Like, I don't think I could have followed it if I'd watched it weekly. Yeah. No, I think that makes sense. The the other one that was quite good was Orphan Black as well. Oh, awful. I never finished Orphan Black, you know? It's worth it. I, I, It was quite a satisfying finish, I would say. Oh, good. Because, yeah, she was uh, Tatiana Maslana. Yeah, Maslany. she's incredible. Fucking incredible. Like, I, I've never seen... Um, Moon Knight does it very well, actually. But she could, she could not say a word and you would know which character she was. Well, she... And I think we might have talked, talked about this on the podcast before, but she has this bit where she is a character impersonating one of the other characters Mm. but it's obvious that she is not that character she's impersonating and which is mind-blowing and i don't know how you even begin to kind of put the process together to act like that oh yeah but yeah oh yeah what is this new zoom i don't know why zoom's got a fucking ticking clock now but yeah, yeah, no, Awful Black was brilliant. And then I think you're also now getting more confusing movies because it's cheap. Like, you don't have to worry about a cinema release. So you're getting a load yeah. of stuff just pushed onto Netflix, which, and they're still great. And I, I appreciate them, kind of thing. But uh, without having to push for a cinema release, I think you're now getting some really cool, weird shit. Yeah, I, I would agree. And also, I guess there's <laughs> the other thing is you can probably save on, uh, save on good writing because. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> say it's confusing and it's great, and if you don't understand it, then well, that's on you. Well, I guess it's just not for you guys, you know. <laughs> I suppose, given that we have a ticking clock on um, Zoom now, um, we should probably um, figure out what your movie recommendation nobody asked for is. Um, yes, this week. and and figure it out we will because I have two or three possible choices. I messaged out to a couple of people to see what what their answer to this would be, to kind of, you know, crowdsource some responses for us. So I was close to picking Antichrist, which is my dad's favourite movie he probably doesn't understand. And it also includes my favourite piece of movie trivia, which is a body double had to be used for Willem Dafoe's sex scenes. Right. Do you know why? Something about his penis being too big? Yep. (laughs) Willem Dafoe's penis was distractingly and confusingly big. (laughs) So they had to use a body double who was in more biological proportions to a normal man. Just to make sure everyone felt a bit better about themselves. Which is which is nice. But what I think what I think I'm gonna go for, um, 
what I've decided to do is pick a film which is relatively, it's not confusing or complex, it's kind of relatively simple, but it could lead to some of the most confusing movies ever made. Okay. So my movie recommendation is Denis Villeneuve's Dune. Because Dune is, I haven't stopped thinking about it since I saw it in the cinema. It is fucking incredible. I, I haven't seen anything on that scale before, and if any cinema near you is seeing it, I would strongly encourage to watch it on the cinema screen if you can, because like nothing, nothing in sci-fi has felt that big before. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like the, the yeah, just the scale of everything, and the casting is perfect, and it is just a flawless movie. I'm currently reading the Dune books, and I'm up to the fourth one. And after Dune, they get mind-numbingly weird. So, like, not to... I mean, I can kind of spoil, I guess, a book that came out 50 years ago? I suppose so. Came out in the 70s. But I'll be as high-level as I can. A character becomes a weird sand fishboy messiah god. Okay. So, you know, it wasn't, it hasn't quite, the series hasn't quite gone the uh, direction that I thought it would. So if they keep, I think they should stop after Dune. I, I think they should just keep it to that because it does have kind of a decent enough ending. Um, but if they keep going, this could become a franchise that we talk about. If we like, if we get, if we run out of ideas and just go through our back catalogued with like revisited. Yeah. When we come back round to this episode, there is a chance the movie recommendation would then be like Children of Dune, or and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bullshitting you here. Children of Dune, or its sequel, God Emperor of Dune, which is, <laughs> which as far as like badass band names go, is definitely quite high on the list. Yeah, talking of crazy, crazy sequels from books, um, and the the movies. Have we? I don't know if we've spoken about this before, but the actual plot to 102 Dalmatians. Uh, no, we haven't. Are you aware of the actual plot to 102 Dalmatians, the book? Uh, no, I'm not. So, the, to the point I, until this moment, didn't realize there was a book. So there is a book that is the sequel to 101 Dalmatians, and essentially, um, God, em- God Emperor of the 101 Dalmatians. What happened? Well, not far off. What happens is that okay. all of the humans in the world go to sleep. All of the dogs start communicating with each other. Um, there is basically a space dog that comes down, tells all of the dogs that they need to meet at Trafalgar Square. All of the dogs come, and basically the space dog tells all of the dogs that the world is going to end and that they need to come back to the dog planet and that he's going to take them all there in his space dog ship. Okay, first of all, <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> that, I, I, I really, seri- really, I am not even taking the piss. I'm giving, I'm giving you, I'm giving you an out here to admit that you're lampooning me. <laughs> no, genuinely. you're kidding. No, so no, it, no, it's basically it's a mix of that Rick and Morty episode and the Nicolas Cage film Knowing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell, that is wow, wow. Yeah. It is so. It's actually called the Starlight Barking, um, but is essentially the sequel to One Hundred One Dalmatians. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> the dogs discover they can swoosh or hover at tremendous speed over the ground. How do you just discover that? 
I, I know, so, I, I mean, like, I, if all dogs had the intelligence of Bowie, I would understand that they might have forgotten that they could fucking hover. <laughs> you get some, you know, like, seeing eye dogs, working dogs, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. They wouldn't forget. Yeah, yeah. So the, the Wow. Uh, Sirius, the lord of the dog star, appears on Nelson's column. He explains to... He um he explains to all the dogs that he is lonely, offers them the chance to avoid the pain of possible nuclear war in the future. They must come on, come to his own come to them of their own accord. He assures them the world when it wakes will not remember dogs ever existed, and that all dogs will be free and no true bliss in the stars. That is that is the most horrifying thing I've ever read in a book. <laughs> wake it all all humanity will wake up not knowing dogs are a thing. <laughs> Yeah, um, and Pongo, the 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 lead from 101 Dalmatians, is chosen to make the final decision. Jesus Christ! I've got it up on Wikipedia. This is you—you you are not kidding. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding at all. Because I'm—I'm I'm not going to lie, Graham. This felt like you'd made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fucking hell! I can—I cannot get over this. This is batshit insanity. You can see why they decided to go off script for 102 Dalmatians, right? But now I wish like more books had sequels like that that went completely out of nowhere. <laughs> like, like you know, after Game of Thrones, the next book is just, and then a spaceship arrived. <laughs> or like, The Little Mermaid turns out she's a robot. Yeah. Like, just completely switching genres. Yeah. Oh, and also, a part of this as well... Um, there's a, a bit where they go to murder Cruella de Vil. Oh, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm a massive segue, but um, just had to... You, your, uh, your talk of um, <laughs> sequel books going a bit a bit askew um, did remind me of 102 Dalmatians or the Starlight Barking. I legitimately have been rendered speechless. <laughs> I have. Just, what the fuck? Okay. Um, uh, yeah, June. <laughs> June. Um, Space Melange. <laughs> so just, uh, just before we get on to whatever question it is you're going to ask that leads me to recommend Midsummer. Yeah. Uh, peek, peek behind the curtain again. Another, another, another peek behind, behind the curtain. curtain. Yeah. In behind the curtain, behind the curtain again. What's there? Uh. Zoom, for some reason, now has a 40-minute timer, even if it's a call between two people. Yeah. So we just we just left, and then we came back in. And for the entirety of that time, and still now, I have my head in my hands. <laughs> I, I can't... This... The starlight barking has literally, like, changed the world for me. Have you been rocked to your core? I have been rocked to my very core. <laughs> like, they made some people honorary dogs so that then they could wake up. Yeah. The, the, there's a Professor Great Dane who understands crowd psychology. <laughs> I mean, they also involve the Foreign Secretary's boxer as as part of the uh, of part of everything that's going on here. Because, oh fucking hell! Because the they they go to like all of the um, I, I guess the the government cabinet. Their dogs are like the dog cabinet for for dogs. So it's it's Animal Farm, basically, yeah. Animal Farm in space. Shall we? All right, at some point, possibly next week, because I'm gonna you're gonna get messages from me like <laughs> God knows when about this. But just like, shall we just do like our top three like 
like, just like I, I don't know how we'd even phrase it, and I don't want to steal the concept of uh, great independent podcast sequel pitch. Um, just <laughs> pitching Disney sequels that have absolutely nothing to do with the first one. Yeah, uh, abs- absolutely. Let's um, let's 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 start. Let's yeah, figure, we'll figure it out. We'll figure out exactly how we're going to phrase that at some point. But I I implore you all to Google uh, the Starlight Barking. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly thought you knew this, so I'm I'm glad to have brought it into your life. No, no, I I I knew I I knew the hundred and one Dalmatians was based on a book. Uh, I that's where my my knowledge ended. I am lit. I am literally. I am so confused. This is the perfect <laughs> thing for us to have talked about today. Because <laughs> this is this is my reaction when I've watched a lot of the films we're about to talk about. Yeah. Just of like this is either a, this is either an incredible like far out there idea for a sequel or the guy is insane. <laughs> like he either needs awards or help. Yeah. Yeah. So we do need to um it's Elizabeth Hand is is the author I believe. Oh no, Dodie Smith. Sorry. Dodie Smith. Yeah. Um yeah. Anyway, if you haven't got time to sit through three hours of June, and if you perhaps don't want to read The Starlight Barking because it's a bit too insane for you, um, is there any other recommendations for films this week, Ian? Yeah, so if you're, uh, if you're in the mood for a complicated look at social dynamics and you want to watch a film that is between two and a half and three hours long, but you don't like sand or spice, then I would strongly recommend... Ari Aster's Midsummer. I'm just going to get straight to the fucking point with it. I would recommend Midsummer. As always, it is a fucking incredible film. Um, we're 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 due uh we're due a rewatch. We'll have uh our Midsummer special coming out at some point soon. But uh yeah, Midsummer. It is it is one of the. It, it's not. I wouldn't say it's simple because it is a bit complicated in places. But it's uh, it is definitely one of our favorite. Yeah, films. I don't. Yeah, I don't think it is. I guess the overarching plot is, but there's a lot of nuance yeah. to it that maybe makes it a little bit more um, more complex. But yeah, I mean, it, it's it's no starlight barking. It is no starlight barking. The starlight bark. I, I, okay, I, I it, want the midsummer style starlight barking because that would it be? It would be like a. A dog cult. The, 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 no, so like the, the flip of Midsummer, like taking the sequel like far out there, would just be a by the numbers romantic comedy. <laughs> yeah. Like Mids with dogs. <laughs> yeah. Florence Pugh actually does just find the right man. Or or it's um was it uh Jupiter Ascending? Um because she liked dogs, didn't she? Oh god, Jupiter Ascending was a great <laughs> shout for confusing and bad. But also, but true. also possibly a masterpiece. <laughs> yeah, royal bees. Yeah. Jupiter ascending, I think, is what would happen if you try to explain the plot of Dune, having not watched Dune. You would end up coming out with something <laughs> like Jupiter ascending. But but yes, so that's where we are. We've learned a lot today, um, and now yep. it's time for us to talk about our favourite movies. Brackets we didn't understand. Close brackets. And I believe the first Close choice brackets. is yours. It is. It is indeed. Um, so, my choice uh, for the first film that I absolutely love, and I, I genuinely adore this movie, um, but 
don't really understand. Well, I understand bits of it, but there's a lot of things that are quite confusing. Um, is the Stanley Kubrick masterpiece, 2001 A Space Odyssey. It is it is a fantastic film. I think it's lauded by a lot of a lot of people. I mean, Prince Charles is one of the kind of mainstays in their um regular um programming that they do. The seventy five mil, I think it is, they show it in um because it is just one of those films that's a classic and and is really really very good. It's definitely it's definitely one you need. I think again, no, no way to. I, I mean, I've already said it about Dune, but no way to say it without sounding like a prick. But it's definitely a cinema movie, isn't it? Definitely a cinema movie. Yeah. It's also definitely like if you were to draw that, you know, those like hundred movies to watch before you die kind of things. It would be mm. on there, right? Like, there's no, there's no two ways about it because it's one of those films that also I think f- for the wider context of what it did for filmmaking and cinema. It changed a lot of things. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, and also like it's yeah, I I don't know, it, and it's iconic in the sense there's a lot of bits that uh become you know there's bits that are throughout popular culture as well, right? I'm sure there must be about four or five different references to it in The Simpsons alone. Yeah, and uh, what's the PlayStation? The PlayStation Two was based on the monolith, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and that brings it brings me swiftly onto one of the things that I didn't really well i don't even know if i didn't really get but like it is the most bizarre first half 20 minutes half an hour of cinema where there's just a bunch of monkeys going ape shit literally around this um around this monolith there's no dialogue or anything and i did you know the first time watching this no context no kind of awareness of of where this was going or what was going to happen you just you just hear these monkeys going crazy for for a, a decent amount of time, and then they see the monolith, and then you obviously get the music, and then you fast forward a few million years into the future, and that for one is like okay, what what on earth is going on? And I think there's also a lot of um, there's a lot of theories right around the whole monolith and what what it means and because it obviously appears throughout the different parts of of the movie yeah you know is it i think i get like because stanley kubrick does this shit all the time where like his films feel like they're two or three different films yeah like the first i i still maintain one of the best war movies ever made is the first half of full metal jacket oh full metal jacket is amazing oh yeah but only the first half yeah I don't remember anything in the second half of that movie, but I could quote verbatim massive bits from the first one. Like, a lot of people think that is just the film. And then you've got, like, the middle part of 2001 is like a space thriller horror movie. Yep. And then you've got the monkeys at the beginning, and then, we will get onto in a minute, the big massive space baby. <laughs> yeah, that's the bit I don't get. And I literally studied this film at university. <laughs> well, this... I... <laughs> Yeah, and you're right. Like the the middle section, like you say, is a is a space horror thriller, and I guess a commentary on where AI and machine learning and stuff might take us, and also a commentary that was way ahead of its time. Right, this film came out in yeah. fifty nine, was it sixty oh, eight? Sorry, but to have that level of like commentary on artificial intelligence when computers were at the stage that they were back then is is particularly you know 
is mm. is a really interesting take on things. Hal is a great character, even though Hal is just a voice and a blinking red dot, right? Well, he's aged because um, a lot of like 60s sci-fi, a lot of like their views of the future haven't aged particularly well. Yeah, like it's uh, yeah, it all looks even even films that sci-fi films that came out like like Minority Report. Yeah, when he was doing like the uh, the screen thing, he had stuff on his fingers. Yeah, and it's like that feels really dated now. But Hal is what sixty years old, and he looks, he feels like he could be a kind of a modern day invention, which I think is a really, it's a testament to how good the movie is. Well, and also you see stuff like, um, I guess like, would you say Moon feels like a a kind of spiritual sequel to this? Yeah, I, I to see a that. degree. Obviously, yeah. there's the weird bits with like the. Uh, doppelgangers and all that kind of stuff, but it's it's quite similar in like the feelings of isolation and then being controlled by yeah uh, what's you know a, an artificial intelligence. But yeah, I think that's so. The like you're right. The beginning bit kind of makes sense, and then you come fast forward again with this monolith, and it's in. They end up in like Jupiter, I think, um, and then there's this other monolith that's orbiting jupiter and then he ends up in like uh, there's kind of it's in this like room right this and then there's this weird like going through a you feel like you're going through a kaleidoscope um for for a portion of it and then he's in bed then you get like he's it is him the monolith appears again, and then he transforms into a big baby. <laughs> How does any of this relate back to the monkeys at the beginning? Yeah, all the all the horror movie it just was. All the horror. Uh, well, there's a slight bit because it's the same person, right? Oh yeah, but still, like you know, I, like, I, yeah, they don't they don't kill like Freddy Krueger and then suddenly get transported <laughs> via a vortex of coloured light to becoming a giant fetus enclosed in a transparent orb of light. It's not a way to end a film. No. No, it's it's not, and I think, um, and I think the, one of the reasons I love the movie so much is for that middle section because that middle section is, I guess, if that if if the middle section of two thousand one was a standalone movie, we'd be talking about it as uh, one of the best movies made that we completely understand. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. But it, it's like I know there's a lot of obviously there's a lot of like you know the film is right. We could we could talk about this for hours on what like every different bit of it means and like i know we're <laughs> we're belittling the star child here a little <laughs> bit but you know there are there there is a huge conversation around exactly what that symbolizes and you know the, the, the film obviously works on a higher level and i have no idea what that higher level is yeah um, absolutely yeah i think i think for that middle section of the film and then i guess the the place that it sits in cinema from the point of view of the progression of of cinematography some of the really interesting like um, practical effects because they had that big uh, like rotating set for the interior of the the spaceship oh yeah 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 where it's on like a massive rotating wheel and the i mean it's insane that obviously now they would just do it on a green screen right but when you look at it and from the point of view of like what people were able to manufacture in order to kind of bring this to life like as a movie and as a as a feat of filmmaking, it's incredible. But yeah, it's a great, great movie, and bits of it 
completely makes sense. But the monkeys and the big space baby, I mean, yeah, beats me. Yeah, like I, I knew it was, but for, for, for I think I, I think we'll have this conversation for all of these the films we're talking about, and there is definitely going to be a spectrum that they lie <laughs> on. But two thousand one, a space odyssey is weird, but it's also definitely a hundred percent a masterpiece. Yeah, like while watching it, it was like this is incredible, but I have no idea what's going on. Like it's it's there, right? There, there was no there was no doubt in my mind of how groundbreaking this film was. Yeah. And I think there's um there is a part of this that is insanely confusing, but to the point that you feel like it's wanting you to have your own interpretation of it. Whereas I think yeah. some of the ones we'll talk about today are insanely confusing and the director and the writer know exactly what they want you to think, but they're completely keeping it from you. Whereas I feel that Kubrick in this was more painting a picture to give you these um like you to have your own interpretation ready ready for the ready for the most wanky thing i've ever said about a film uh it's it's kind of like abstract art in that way (laughs) 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 but yeah no i i think i yeah i think that's spot on it's like and, and then that that also is the difference between this and some of the films we touched on before in that it's not weird for the sake of it it's not just trying to be weird and strange like it, ev- everything has everything in it is to drive meaning symbolism and conversation yeah yeah ab- absolutely and probably parts of it to to push the special effects of the era because again like the big space baby the kaleidoscope of colors and everything i think that really was kind of pushing the boundaries of of what you could do for filmmaking back in the 60s yeah yeah but yeah, yeah, I, I still have no idea what the fucking star baby is. No, and um, I don't know. Would you, if you could, mm. if you could have Stanley Kubrick sit? Well, you know, obviously you couldn't, but if you could, <laughs> if you know, if after you go through your kaleidoscope vortex of color, and you're suddenly in a neoclassical bedroom, but it's just you and Stanley Kubrick, yeah. would you want him to explain everything? Like, you get what I mean? Like, is this better not knowing everything? Yeah, I or think, would you uh, want it sat down and explained? No, I think it is. I think that's part of the part of the mystique and the um, uh, again to to sound quite wanky, the majesty of of this oh. of this movie oh. is oh, sir, that was that was very wanky. <laughs> is is that interpretation? Is that opportunity to kind of um, yeah to take what um what has been presented and have your have your own kind of interpretation and take on it i think is is part of what and sparks you know this is one of one of the reasons we started doing this podcast is because we spend a lot of time talking about and debating movies in some in some instances like this at quite a like deep level in other instances i mean you guys have listened to other episodes complete <laughs> yeah. completely ridiculous not deep in other at instances, all. yeah in other instances we talk about seagulls for 15 minutes exactly films like this give you a reason to talk and debate and kind of pick each other's brains and really try and understand other interpretations and without something like 2001 a space odyssey you know you might not get to the point where you're having these I'm sure there's you know there's other films out there that do it as well, but it it really gives you a reason to sit down and talk about films and 
I think that's one of the, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, why would you bother going? And I do, I go to, I have been, we spoke about this before, I have been to films on my own. I do enjoy going to the cinema on my own. But there is a certain thing from going to a cinema with another person, because it's a weird experience, right? Because you sit in the dark in silence for two hours and why did you go with someone else? But it's that walk back to the car and the drive home that half an hour after the movie where you kind of dissect it right i think one of my one of my greatest memories for that was when we went and saw us at the cinema yeah and sat down in the car and there was a good sort of four or five minutes where we didn't really say much to each other because we were taking it all in and we spent the rest of the you know rest of the evening kind of talking about all of the little bits and pieces and then there was the bit where we were listening to the soundtrack and realized the reason why they had that nwa song because as they say it's coming yes. straight from the underground yeah. and then it was like mind blown kind of. but that you know that's the beauty of of cinema and movies to me so this is really up there as one of the top films that strikes that debate up it's yeah, just drunk Graham occasionally saying it just works on so many levels. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, two thousand one: A Space Odyssey. I think it's fantastic. There's bits of it that I have no idea what's going on, but I'm okay with that because it is. It it leads to debate, and it is in essence a, a fantastic movie. <laughs> uh, so my first choice, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna do these in reverse chronological order from when i saw them last so <laughs> nice nice and complex and easily verified yes exactly so uh this film i watched within the last like two months so i feel like i i should be able to talk kind of at length about it so this is like i kind of said in the intro about uh malik there were a couple of directors that when I knew we were going to be talking about weird, confusing films, I googled because it's like, well, these are going to have one. And one of those is Charlie Kaufman. So Charlie yeah. Kaufman, uh, as famously played by Nicolas Cage in Adaptation, is a screenwriter director who, like, for all intents and purposes, just makes weird shit. So... He's written uh, Being John Malkovich, Adaptation, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind was his screenplay as well. Um, And then he's directed. So this choice came down to two. The one I've gone for and a film called, have you watched Sindoki, New York? No, it's one that's always been there because it's, um, was it Philip Seymour Hoffman's last movie? Well, I'm not sure if it was his last, but it was one one of of his last, yeah. Who I I saw I watched uh, for the first time the talented Mr Ripley the other day. Oh really? Yeah, which is a fantastic movie. Yeah. Um and uh yeah Philip because Philip Seymour Hoffman plays Freddie in that and he is just brilliant. Oh he's he's such a good actor. He's an incredible he actor. Yes. Yeah. So so Doc in New York was he plays Philip Seymour Hoffman plays a screenwriter who wins like this genius grant, but he wants to make a play that's like reality. So he ends up building a full-size New York inside a warehouse. And then it's so fucking beautiful, but so fucking weird. And it's so weird, I couldn't bring myself to watch it again for this podcast. (laughs) Because, like, it was a great experience when I watched it first. But, like, I think sometimes the weirder the film, like, you lose bits of it the more you watch it. Yeah. So yeah, I couldn't bring myself to rewatch it, and it made so little sense. I can't really remember a lot of it 
apart from just how fucking meta and surreal it was. Um, and then I thought, aha, I sought out a Charlie Kaufman film the other day because I'd always wanted to watch it because not only am I a big Charlie Kaufman fan, but as, as we have talked at length about, I am a big fan of stop motion animation. So I'm gone for 2015's Animalisa. So cool. Never, never heard of it. Yeah. Quick segue. Stop motion. Um, don't know if you've listened to the most recent uh, off menu podcast, but apparently Jarvis Cocker once played a stop motion mouse who was a, uh, I want to say, uh, landlord. Do with that information what you want. Uh, Jarvis Cocker was also in uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah, maybe he just loves a bit of stop motion. Yeah, which I watched the other day. Because of, of course I did. It was, yeah. it was in our good movie box, a concept I will share another day. It's probably because he's he's down with the common people. Way. I've already t- I've already told my anecdote of someone saying I look like Jarvis Cocker, so I won't do it again. But yeah, good. At- See, Jarvis Cocker has a has a spectrum of lookalikes because apparently a lot of people tell James Acaster that he looks like <laughs> Jarvis Cocker, um, and then people are telling you that you look like Jarvis Cocker. I wonder if anyone's told James Acaster that they look like you to like kind of complete the uh, so the, the, the circle, the triangle. I would. You guys are basically the triforce. I think. I think if you put us in a row, it might look like I am morphing into Jarvis Cocker, <laughs> like the front melting into. Yeah, like, like the front cover of those. Do you remember the Animorph series? <laughs> yeah. Like another very weird series, but the front cover was always a person, and then like five stages of them turning into like a fucking mongoose or something. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Animalisa. <laughs> so Animalisa is a stop motion film that I'd wanted to watch for a while. Um, it's written by Charlie Kaufman. And basically, like, it's one of those films where, so, the plot itself it isn't hugely complicated, but there's a lot of ambiguity around it, so you could take a lot of different things from it. The not understanding it part is the fact that I still can't figure out whether this how good this film is like either it's a masterpiece or it is distinctly average and i legitimately don't know what it is so it follows this guy called michael stone who is like a customer service expert and motivational speaker as he's promoting a book tour around hotels and michael stone is depressed and every single character he meets is voiced by the same person and has the same identical face. Right, okay. So regardless so of who... What's the... Um, there's a psychological term for something similar, right, where you can't um, recognise someone. Is it facial aphasia? Yes, I think so. Like face blindness, basically, right? Yeah, um, essentially that everyone is kind of... Uh, pros, pros, prosopagnosia, known yes. as face blindness. Yeah. That. But... <laughs> Yeah, so it, it, it's not so much that as more everything has blurred into the same shit around him kind of thing. So yeah. he views everyone as exactly the same person. And it is quite effective because I think, you know, we've all been at parts of our life where we feel like that. Um, and then he finally meets someone who is different from everyone else. And he actually is the only other character not voiced by... So Michael Stone is voiced by David Thewis. Thewis? Um, it's just a fun surname to say. Most famously as being Werewolf Boy from the Harry Potter series. Um, Tom Noonan voices everybody else. And then um, the woman he meets is voiced by Jennifer Jason Lee, 
and yeah it is about him meeting this meeting this woman in a hotel the weirdest part of the film and probably what it's well not the weirdest uh what it's most famous for is a very graphic and realistic uh stop motion sex scene wonderful like imagine the sex scene in team america but not played for laughs right okay like it is and i mean this is this is one thing i didn't understand is how arguably the most realistic sex scene i've ever seen was in a stop motion animation by charlie kaufman <laughs> because like it's not really romantic right like it, it's it, it's so weird to i i love that i'm talking to, about this to you on a tuesday so sex is weird right <laughs> like <laughs> But, yeah, it's, it just kind of comes out of absolutely nowhere. Uh-huh. And he then has a nightmare where the lower part of his face falls off and he realises he's a puppet. And oh, we've all been there. F- yeah. And then it also then turns... Uh, I'm not going to say... Sp- I, I, it, it's kind of a little bit of a... It's a payoff for something early on, so it's not really a spoiler. But he, it's his son's birthday. So he goes to a toy store, not realizing it is an adult toy store. <laughs> and it's the only place that's open. And the only thing he can buy is this, like, old school Japanese animatronic sex doll. And it looks like one of those things where, um, you know, the old, like, automatons that play, like, board games? Yeah. Yeah, it looks like one of those. And. There is a reading of the film that he's made up the whole thing in his hotel room and it is just this Japanese sex doll instead. So, like, there's a lot of different ways that you could view the film and there's a lot of different interpretations of it right up until the ending. Which is also why I was... The obvious transition from Annalisa is I was very close to picking Total Recall. Okay. Because Total Recall is quite similar in that with such an ambiguous ending, you could argue that I don't actually understand the film. Everyone has their kind of theory of it, but yeah. Annalisa, I think, is incredible. But... Yeah, it, I mean, I'm, in, I'm intrigued from, from your description of it. Talking of, like, really messed up, weird stop-motion stuff, have you seen Bobby Yeah? No, I, you know what? I haven't even heard of that, and I'm usually quite... I'm, my stop-motion game is usually on... on... Bobby, yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's weird. It is one of the weirdest things I've ever watched. Oh no, I haven't seen it, but I recognise the animation style. So he must have done something else. That is odd. Even just the fucking Google images, I don't like this. <laughs> yeah, that's um. Oh fuck! This is a this is a proper tangent. I like the amount of tangents we have in a confusing episode because this is going to be really difficult to follow. We watched and I, and I'm going to continue to bleep out his name until he actually listens to the podcast. <laughs> watched there was a really fucked up TV series on Channel Four that I think Trey Parker was uh, executive producer for, and it was the weirdest thing I have ever seen. Right, The Shivering Truth. Okay, I've not heard of that. Um. Yeah, so it's called The Shivering Truth. It It is stop motion as well. Yeah. And none of it makes sense at all. I don't know if it's a horror. I don't know if it's a comedy. I don't know if it's both or neither. It's batshit insanity, and I have so much time for it. But yeah, so Anna Melissa, like I say, it, it, is, it is very effective in what it does. 
it has lived rent free in my mind since as well. I, I can't. I keep thinking about it. Not not specifically the puppet sex scene because that would say a lot about my my psyche. But just yeah, it, 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 again, I like. It, it's even difficult to talk about. Like I can follow the plot and I can follow the plot and I know what happens, but I still feel like there's more. It's it's like it hints at an extra level that I'm not aware of, kind of thing. Like there's so much you could talk about and dissect in the film that I just feel like I'm not. I need to find more people who I need to book club the movie. Basically. Yeah. I need more people to have watched it so I could sit in a circle just making this noise. Uh maybe. But yeah, it, it's it is either a good film or one of the best films ever made, and I legitimately don't know which one it is. Which is which is always an interesting because uh, I guess it's. I suppose that you've got also the benefit. I mean, maybe maybe you don't, but you have the benefit of like with uh, Tree of Life. Tree of Life was like really artsy fartsy, stupidly confusing, but it came with the baggage as it were of being oscar nominated and winning the palm door so there's a bit in the back of your mind when you're watching it that's telling you this is like you should be finding this amazing even if it's terrible you should be finding this amazing and i guess you have the benefit there with with this movie that maybe it doesn't necessarily have that like awards baggage with it so there is that real question of is it amazing or is this just weird as hell and you know you're not necessarily being as led as much by the uh the, the fancy little uh awards yeah. that it's been nominated for yeah so it, it, it was it was nominated for a best animated feature but i think part of that is it's it's charlie kaufman and i kind of generally assume he's going to be nominated for everything he does so like that's not quite the same baggage if that makes sense yeah it lost out to inside out Quite, quite a different. Uh, quite, quite a, a different, different film. Yeah, like I, I, I think, I think maybe like I, I was, I was obviously kind of hyped for it mainly for the people involved and the medium it was in. But yeah, it didn't have the. It was on a lot of like critics' top ten of the year lists, but it definitely didn't have the yeah the, the tree of life uh, caravan along with it. But yeah, so Anna Melissa, it's good. The the next film I'm going to talk about um, is one that I did really enjoy. I wonder if part of the enjoyment here was as a result, and probably for a lot of people as well, it being the first movie I got to see back in the cinema after the lockdowns. Oh. Because as far as I can recall, this was like the first major release that came like when we could start going back to socially came, distant movies it came between lockdowns right yeah so it was like summer of 2020 yeah so yeah i i don't know i wonder if that added to it somewhat because it was the first film i'd seen at the cinema since color out of space uh, uh, another <laughs> another great confusing movie yeah. Because the colour out of space, space is magenta. And alpaca. Yes. <laughs> but so the, the film I'm talking about is um, talked about on the podcast a lot, director Christopher Nolan, and it is Tenet. Tenet. <laughs> I mean, it's. My, par- my, my partner insists on calling it Tenet, and that has now seeped into me. I just find it funny. 
I think it would require an accent on the second E to be Tanae. Oh, that, that's just to make it look like it's a fucking palindrome. Well, I mean, it it, it is a palindrome. <laughs> it, it is a palindrome. <laughs> but, uh, continue, Tanae. <laughs> Tenet is... Um, yeah, it was, it was a really... In, it, it, it felt like Nolan went... He went peak. He out-Nolan'd himself, right? Like, it... it I, I remember watching it, and I remember my first thought being that I did really enjoy that, and there was lots of like really cool parts. There was lots of some of the action was great. Robert Patterson was really really good in it, but I had to Google it to understand or try and understand what was going on. And I don't think any film can really claim to be very very good if that is the kind of thing that you have to do like you shouldn't have to wikipedia the plot in order to know what you've just watched yeah so i i watched this i can't remember if we like premiered it but we watched it at home mm. so i think we watched it when the rental stopped being 16 quid so it yeah. was still pricey but not that and we watched it um as a household and every half an hour we would pause it just to go like right what's happening does anyone yeah. know what's happening? What's going on? Like, I think it's this, but it might not be. Yeah, and also does like some. I mean, some overly wanky stuff, like calling, calling John David Washington's character the protagonist. Oh and yeah, things they like can, that. They can fuck. Right I off mean, with that one. <laughs> it's like, come on. It's an interesting concept, and as I say, I did, I did enjoy. Did I enjoy the execution? I think I did enjoy the execution. I just didn't enjoy the fact that I had to. I had to then try and read up about what I just watched because, yeah, as I say, to me that is that's the mark of someone not particularly telling the story in a in a, in a very good way. Yeah, so I think the, the the execution in a way was incredible. If we're talking solely about like if and again, I think the phrase I'm about to say proves your point. If we ignore the storytelling bit, <laughs> how they actually? Because I, I really want to rewatch today, because um, I didn't realize how much of it was done practically. Like it, it has the, the um, on on it's far below the average special effects used in a movie, let alone a movie that length. So a lot of the stuff that's backwards is actually people going backwards. Like the right. car chases and stuff like that. So, knowing that, I really want to watch it just from a like appreciating the filmmaking process perspective, yeah, I, rather I, I than can... understanding the plot. Because I think I've realised that the plot is built not to understand, because that is how Christopher Nolan rolls now. Well, and I th I think that's an interesting point, right? I think yeah, if you look at it from the point of view as a feat of filmmaking. It is it is very impressive, you know, a lot of the action set pieces and stuff like that. But then you look at the, you know, if a brief synopsis of this is that the science fiction aspect of the film resolves around the ability to reverse entropy of things and people resulting in time reversibility. Yeah, because, right, so, so people in the future have sent back the mechanisms... To travel backwards. Yes. And some Russian guy in a power station finds it in like a box. Yeah. And that guy then becomes super rich 
and wants to find the rest of the magic backwards because it's an algorithm hidden in magnets it's 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 the algorithm and the algorithm is like is in nine pieces it's basically like a really complex triforce which is the second time i've mentioned the triforce today which which christopher nolan favorite plays the russian uh kenneth branner isn't it kenneth branner that's the one it was, it was either going to be him or killian murphy yeah and then um michael Caine obviously rocks up as well is it uh, what, what's michael Caine in it He's in the um. He's just in the restaurant. I can't even. I can't yes. remember what. Yes, he is. He... Yeah, it's Dunkirk. He was over the radio. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. but yeah, he he he's he's lesser. He I can't remember even what he uh, specifically does. I just remember him being in the restaurant and being like, oh, of course he's in it. It's um, it's a Nolan film. Yeah, and I mean the thing with Backwards is Red Dwarf did it first and better. So <laughs> yeah, what's the what, what's the point in trying it again? I do, like, some of the... A couple of good things with Tenet. One, it convinced me Robert Patterson would be an incredible James Bond. Yeah. And I think it also opened... I think without Tenet... I pronounced it correctly there just for you. Um, I don't think that... Not that the wider public matters. The only people that matters is us and our army of nobodies. Um, I think they after Tenet, they were a lot more accepting of him as Batman. Yeah, I think I think that's probably fair. I think he proved his box office potential, right? That was the big, that was yeah. the big thing that Tenet did. Because I think stuff like a a film that you're going to talk about later showed that he could be not just the guy from Twilight. Yeah, and then something like Tenet gave the opportunity to um well, like, to yeah I've... really show that he is. You could put him on a in a blockbuster, and he's going to bring money in because he's a good actor. I've, I've, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I was forced to watch Twilight during lockdown because we had very little to do. What Robert Patterson was able to do with that piece of shit movie should be, like, applauded. <laughs> like, it was, it, was a, it was an awful film, but, like, what... And to an extent, Kristen Stewart as well. Like, to, to an extent. But what they were able to do with that piece of shit script, like, fair, I mean, fair play. <laughs> And then the I cr- think Kristen Stewart is also a very good actress. Like we, oh, God, I yeah. watched um oh, what was I don't it's not a particularly good film, it's a weird film. Um but personal, personal shopper? shopper. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is it uh one of the genres of what I like to call is it a ghost? <laughs> but also like I mean that film again I went into that film knowing nothing about it, but that took a hell of a left turn. Yeah, um have you watched Underwater? Not have you watched no. Personal Shopper while underwater? Have you watched the <laughs> film Underwater? No, I was I was actually on a plane, so I was as far from <laughs> underwater as you can get. So Kristen uh, Stewart's in Underwater, which is like a horror thriller under the sea, which is really fucking good. But again, yeah, both of them both of them get judged, and neither of them really deserve it. Um, they no, both they I... both done some like incredible stuff since then, but everybody still finds it funny to just call them. Oh, it's the guys from Twilight. Yeah. Including myself, like to be fair, that was me up until a couple of years ago. I'm not sure what my like turning personal shopper might have actually been the turning point for me as well with Kristen Stewart, and then I rewatched some stuff, and it's like, oh, actually, she's really fucking good. Yeah, do you know what else was quite good? The um, uh, happiest season, the uh, the um, oh, the Christmas movie, Christ- Christmas movie. Yeah. yeah, she was good in that as with well. Mackenzie something. Yeah, the one from uh, 
the Davis? Mackenzie Davis, who is in Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and is also in um, the uh, San Junipero. Yeah, good times. But no, I I I, I agree. I um, uh, I, yeah, Tenet was fucking weird to the point. Yeah, like I think that's it. In uh. You hit the nail on the head immediately, so we've just been wasting time since then. If you <laughs> if you if you have to either Wikipedia it afterwards or um Or during in your yeah, case. <laughs> or regularly pause the movie to sanity check what the fuck is going on with people. It's uh there's definitely something there. Oh, it's it's an interesting idea. I think it's overcomplicated and not well explained. And there's, I know I talked about on 2001 that one of the really good things about 2001 is that there's a lot of stuff left up to your own interpretation. But I don't necessarily think you can do that with something like Tenet because that's clearly, there, there was, there's clearly something that Christopher Nolan has in his head as how this works and what's going on. But it's just not well communicated to the audience. I, I think an answer to that, weirdly, would be um, it needed to be weirder. There's one thing from Tenet, yeah. given how complicated everyone said it would be, it, I was expecting it to be like Primer or Time, you know, like something really fucking like you need a notebook and a science degree to understand what's going on. So, but it wasn't, it was a weird midpoint, like you said, of like the stuff you didn't understand, you felt like you didn't know because they hadn't framed it right rather than it being complicated. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's it. And like you said, there's a lot of really interesting bits in it and it has potential. And as I say, some of the action stuff is, is really well done. But I don't know. It just, it, the the over complexity of it really, well, the, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it is over complex, but not quite properly over complex. It's just badly executed from a storytelling point of view. But the film itself is—it's the Avatar of Nolan films, um, and uh, just with less blue people, blue cat people. So, uh, yeah, for for that reason, it just doesn't quite hit. But I did enjoy it, and I do think an element of that, as I say, was the just the ability to get back in the cinema after being locked indoors for three months. <laughs> My next choice then, speaking of confusing but great Robert Patterson movies, I am going to be talking about a film we have already talked about at length on this podcast because it was one of my choices for my top three films of 2020. Uh, so it came in number three behind Jojo Rabbit and Parasite. Uh, so this is uh, 2019's The Lighthouse, which is a Robert Eggers movie starring uh, Willem Dafoe and Robert Patterson and nobody else. Um, that's not true dead seagulls oh dead seagull and a mermaid yeah so like to 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 pitch the pitch the stall out early for this the uh the wikipedia for the lighthouse uh has a section called themes with the subheading style psychoanalysis mythology and sexuality so you know this is going to be a weird one if wikipedia literally has sections trying to explain parts of the film the lighthouse i think is a little bit different from uh, the uh, the other film I chose, at least, it's very much kind of keeping with 2001 A Space Odyssey, where there is no doubt in my mind that The Lighthouse is a masterpiece, right? Like, it is an incredible film. Oh, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, it, it it's incredible. The acting in it is insanity. The e- Even the stories behind 
how they made it. You know, they spent basically, um, I think, 34 days on an island off the coast of Canada filming this. It was shot entirely on black and white using, like, old-fashioned lenses and shit like that. And, yeah, and, I mean, and it's an A24 film, which you know means it's going to be a good one. But I have, given that I know in my in my heart of heart and souls of souls that this is a masterpiece of modern cinema, I have no idea what the fuck is going on. It's kind of like, I, it, I compare it often to, uh, and I know this pisses you off about them, but my favourite video games are the Dark Souls series, which is really fun, because I've had a conversation that has gone like this. I love the Dark Souls games. I think they're the best video games ever made. Oh, really? What are they about? I have no idea. No idea at yeah. all. Absolutely. And I have no idea what the fuck is going on in the lighthouse. Basically speaking, there are two people in the lighthouse. Yeah, I, I think there's there's an element of like either one or both or the other one are having a complete and utter mental breakdown due to the isolation of being in a lighthouse. Yeah. Um, but there's also, I guess there's probably elements of uh, are they both really there? Don't know. Maybe yeah. it's just one of them. Um, the, William Defoe does a lot of pissing. Yeah, Robert Pattinson wanks over a chiselled mermaid. Not a chiselled as yeah. in like um, <laughs> with great Henry abs. Cavill. Yeah, as in uh, chiselled as in. Well, I guess whittled. Uh, whittled. Maybe. Whittled would be the correct word. <laughs> whittled a whittled mermaid. But yeah, then there's also a lot of like Prometheus imagery and shit like that. But it, it's yeah. Like you said, neither of them, one of them could be real, one of them could not be, neither of them could be real, both of them could be real, both could be going insane, or one of them could be going insane, or it's just happening exactly as you think it's happening. And then there's a one-eyed seagull who seems to hate everyone. And, I mean, is this the, oh no, it's not, is it? The triangle is the no, seagull No, the triangle, yeah, yeah. But it's, because there's a, the, the scene that kind of, I think, throws you a little bit is... Willem Dafoe's character goes into a drunken rage and destroys a load of shit. And then Robert Pattinson reads his journal and the journal says it was Robert Pattinson who was drinking and stuff. So it's like, is he lying? Is it the fact that is Robert Pattinson actually going insane and has imagined Willem Dafoe's character doing stuff? Has he imagined just... And yeah, I, I fuck knows what the fuck is going on. And then there's a mermaid at a random point. Well, the and best then... bit about that journal scene is when he's written... Um... And that guy from Twilight just smashed the whole place up. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? His later films are actually quite good. Yours, yours sincerely, Willem Dafoe. <laughs> and but... Willem Dafoe's massive penis. Willem Dafoe, yeah. That's how he signs his uh, signature. Because <laughs> it's, um, it's so big, it's got a thumb. <laughs> what, was, what was the... Um... Oh, God. What was the line from the, uh, the Nicolas Cage um, film that we watched that Danny Glover said about his penis? Oh, um, I can't remember the light. It was Tokarev. Yeah. Um, he's that was got... the name of the film, not the name of Danny Glover's piece. Yeah. He's got a rap sheet longer than my dick. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell. Yeah, and uh, to find the rest of that episode, please uh, find a lookout for Cage Rage, a Nicolas Cage podcast. Cage podcast. What is that? What is that? What is that? Oh, no, not the beast! Not the beast! Ah! I love my eyes! Ah! Ah! 
Cage Podcast. Um, but yeah, like, this is a really difficult film to talk about because it is one of the best films ever made and I don't know what the fuck happened. Like, the... It's a, it's a tour de force, Graham. It's a fucking tour de force. Tour de force. What, what? That's a great phrase, isn't it? Tour de force. It is. We don't use it enough. No. Is like, it like the Tour de France, but just with the less bikes? It's a Star Wars themed uh, Tour de France. Okay. Yeah. So, like hover bikes. Yeah. Land may, speeders. May the, may the Tour de Force be with you. <laughs> but yeah, like, it's just. And then you could also read it that they're cursed. Because yeah. you've got the incredible scene of Willem Dafoe basically talking to the camera without blinking for like a minute, going through all these curses. Yeah, and then yeah, and I can't or it's or it's all it's all the seagulls, which is why um you know you're doing the Lord's work with your seagull murder. Ah uh, no, because you're not supposed to kill seagulls according to this film, because they might be the spirits of dead sailors, which is exactly what they want you to think, and that's why the ah. that's why the sea. Of course, the seagulls are going to say you shouldn't kill the seagulls if they're the ones per. You know, they're the perpetrators of the whole entirety of the madness that is the lighthouse. Of course, you shouldn't kill the seagulls because that's self-preservation. Oh, fucking hell! <laughs> what about the one-eyed seagull? Because also the one-eyed motif keeps coming back. Because it's a one-eyed yeah. seagull. There's. Other things that end up having one eyes. Like, well, and obviously um, William Defoe's massive one eyed monster. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Looks surprisingly like a seagull. <laughs> but it's uh, it's uh, for um for for people listening to this who've managed to get through five minutes of me just going, I don't know what's going on. Um, listen to our movies that aren't coming movies where it isn't coming home episode to understand this whole seagull thing. Because very aware not all of you have listened to every episode, but that was a particularly good one, and it's a tangential conversation that has stuck with our friendship till this day. Absolutely. But, yeah, it, it's again, it's one of those films that you could talk about for ages. Because again, like, is it a look at um, that? There's a discussion that it could be about kind of male sexuality because it's two men alone in close quarters and things like that. There's the mythology scene. There's a lot, especially kind of the last frame is, I believe, uh, a recreation of um, an old artwork or something like that. There's a whole Freudian take on it as well. And it's... uh, Yeah, you you could say it it, it leaves... This is the good way of not explaining everything to you. Yeah, because, again, it's in the the same vein of um, 2001, right? There's... The, the level of interpretation and the way that the story is framed. I think that's the difference between Tenet and these two movies is that Tenet is clearly trying to tell you that this is happening, but it's a really confusing thing that's happening. Yeah. Whereas these two films are kind of a bit more like this is this is the general gist of what's going on, but you make up your, your own mind about what yeah. has actually happened here. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a that's a good way of putting it, but yeah, I I couldn't even start to tell you what I thought was going on. Like I, I my initial feeling was that it was uh, kind of like afterlife kind of thing. Yeah, but that's because I don't have a lot of imagination. That's generally where I go when it's <laughs> oh, it's a twist. They must be dead. 
you 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 definitely grew up watching Lost. <laughs> yeah, or, or or again, just like kind of the one of one of them is crazy, but you have to figure out which one's which. Yeah, and I still I'm not sure what my reading of it is of which one of them's crazy because I've watched maybe. It- Maybe you're the crazy one, Ian. Oh my god. <laughs> we are the lighthouse. <laughs> the lighthouse was the friends we made along the way. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to... I, I did like The Witch. Don't get me wrong, The Witch is very good, but The Lighthouse was... As far as fucking second movies go, like, fucking hell. I haven't seen... I'm seeing The uh, Northman next week. So nice. I'm, lo- yeah, I'm lo- looking, looking forward to... Uh, really looking forward to that because there's a lot of uh long takes in it long continuous takes long continuous takes of alexander skarsgård i mean what more could you want from a fucking movie apart from stop motion um... stop motion dolls having sex (laughs) yeah okay my my point is uh there's no follow-up to that so uh you can never follow follow that but yeah yeah lighthouse it is it's one of my favorite films and saying that, no idea what went yeah, on. Yeah, don't know if I would rush to rewatch it. No, it, it's um, it, it, regardless of what I said before, because I'm, I'm deep down a very hypocritical man. Because there are so many different readings of it, it is quite good for a rewatch. Yeah, because there are so many different interpretations of it, it can borderline on a different experience each time. This was actually the lighthouse was actually the film I was thinking of when I put down this episode idea on our excel spreadsheet yeah so i and i think i guess the difference between again going back to the difference between like this and tenet i've got a lot of time for reading around a film like the lighthouse and looking at like essays on it and people's interpretations whereas the difference is that that's looking at again the interpretations of what people think this is versus something like tenet where you're reading up to find out what christopher nolan was trying to tell you yeah. And I think they're the two differences in the t- I, I I enjoy the reading around of movies. You know, things like even like Mandy and stuff like that. There's you know, there's people out there with different kind of takes on it and whatnot. That's interesting reading around, but that's not there's a distinct difference between that versus this is what you were meant to have <laughs> taken away from it. Yeah. But and we the, just weren't very good at doing it. Yeah, you. and and for me there's kind of a subtle difference between Robert Eggers didn't set out to make a confusing movie. He set out to make this big symbolic art piece, right? Yeah. Christopher Nolan, I feel like, set out to make a confusing movie. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. it, 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 it doesn't quite hit the same when you know the point was to be confusing. Yeah, yeah. I, no, Nolan wanted to go one, one step more nolan Yeah, basically. One step more nolan is a great uh, podcast idea. <laughs> it's just uh, take, taking simple films and making them as complex, complicated and convoluted as they could. Like, and I then... don't know, adding space dogs and fucking spaceships to 101 <laughs> Dalmatians. And then obviously the intro would be a uh, One Step Beyond by Madness, but just uh, with the lyrics, One Step, Christopher Nolan. Yeah, and then you reverse it and play it at the same time. One <laughs> Step, Christopher Nolan. I like it. I like it. Well, I have already. Uh, now, this is meta as fuck, because I'm about to talk about part of the introduction that I edited earlier in the podcast you're listening to. So, Ooh. complex. Uh, 
I, uh, because I, I had a little bit of free time this morning for reasons I won't divulge on the podcast for another 28 days, <laughs> uh, I learned how to say, welcome to the podcast nobody asked for, phonetically backwards. <laughs> so, at the beginning that, of the episode... Sorry, at, a little bit of spare time this morning. A little bit of spare time. <laughs> uh, so, at the beginning of this episode, it has, because in Twin Peaks, you have the scene where they're, it's filmed backwards, but they're speaking forwards. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the... Part of the intro has that because um, I suffer for my art. <laughs> uh, but yeah, The Lighthouse. Fucking great film. You should watch it and then tell me what you think the fuck happened. We've just come out of The Lighthouse. Come out of The Lighthouse. And now we're, we're surveying the scene and we're deciding where to go. We are. And look, what ho. It's Christian Bale. <laughs> um, so uh, the movie does star Christian Bale in yeah. the role of. I just, I just never understood who, how Batman and Bruce Wayne can be the same person. I mean, like, I swear I've seen them in the same place at the same time. <laughs> no, it is, it is Christian Bale in his turn as, um, I, I believe his character's actual name, the American Psycho. So American Psycho as a film, the film itself, I wouldn't say is terribly confusing, right? It's it's um, portrays uh, Patrick Bateman's narcissistic and psychopathic. Although I don't know if he's if he's more tends towards sociopathic tendencies, but that's probably a, a, a different uh, conversation for another day. Arguably a different podcast. Arguably a different <laughs> podcast, yeah. Tune into the uh, the diagnosis nobody asked for. Yeah, I think um, it, it, as I say, it kind of it follows his. Um, I don't even know if it's a descent into it. I think he. I guess maybe there's alluded to earlier on that maybe he's not that this is kind of something that manifests throughout the movie rather than him starting off at full psycho because you never go full psycho straight away. No, you, ne- you never go full psycho. Just ask Sean Penn. I am Sam. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's kind of the overarching kind of tale. Um, I guess it's a commentary on early nineties greed and um, it's of... it's specifically yuppie culture, right? Yeah, yuppie culture. You know, it follows. You know, there's very you know a lot of cocaine use, a lot of um, people being paid a lot of money for doing very little. Yeah, I think that's that's you know there's definitely there's there's a social commentary aspect to it, and then the film itself is is looking at Patrick Bateman as the American Psycho. The bit that is particularly confusing, actually, there's two bits that are particularly confusing. One that is related to the movie and what we'll talk about, and the second one that um, we've spoken about previously. The bit that's particularly confusing with the film is the ambiguity of the ending. You are left to debate. And again, this is no, no, not necessarily a bad thing. But you are left to debate whether or not anything that you watched actually took place, or if it was all inside Patrick Bateman's head. Yeah, which still calls into question how mentally stable he is, um, given even kind of imagining and fantasizing all of the pretty fucked up stuff he does um, is is quite troubling. But I guess less troubling than actually doing it, or if he is indeed the um, the American psycho that we see portrayed throughout the um, throughout the movie. So that's that is the most confusing part of this. I think 
And this second confusing part isn't necessarily confusing as part of the movie, but I find it quite confusing to wrap my head around in that the book is much more traumatizing than the film. <laughs> and I still yes. can't quite work out why that is. Maybe it's the element of your own imagination, but and the fact that the the movie leaves out some of the more horrendous bits that are described in yeah. agonizing detail. The book is the book is a fucking slog though. Like yeah, when there's very it, well it, written. Oh, it's it's very well written, but because the point is a critique of yuppie culture and consumerism and stuff, there's like entire chapters where he's just talking about like the type of jackets he owns. Yeah. And it it like that um like the famous business card scene, but played out large for like twenty fucking pages. And then this jacket I bought at this place for this money, which is interesting because usually you wouldn't expect to find it for their dodge. It's like, oh, okay, <laughs> I need to stop. It took me three attempts to finish American Psycho. I loved the book. Sorry, it took me yeah. three attempts to finish reading the book because it was the proper... Uh, I think the example I've used on the pod before is uh, like the outboard motor in a horror movie that doesn't start first time. Yeah. It was a proper that. And then once I got into the swing of it, it was great. But fuck me, it is dark. Oh, it is horrendously dark. Probably one of the, one of the the darkest thing. I mean, definitely the darkest thing I've ever read. Um, and possibly just the darkest bit of media I've ever consumed. And I'm saying that as someone who's seen the cursed film. I think one of the most fucked up and confusing books I've ever read. So if we're talking about hypothetical films or fictional films that could be on this list, um, have you ever read Blood Meridian? No, that's is that Cormac McCarthy? Yeah. So it, it, it's like. There's There's been films in the work forever, but the, the book is so fucked up and weird, I don't think anybody's figured out how to make the film. Yeah, I seem to remember it's um, Frank Carter's favourite book. That's that's the most I know about. And I've read I read one other thing by Cormac McCarthy, which I cannot remember the name of it. Um, but The Road? No, it wasn't The Road. It was one of them. It was a more um, obscure one that I picked up in. Like, you know, the FOP used to do, or probably still do um the sort of like two books for a fiver oh yeah 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 um so i picked it up there i did i read the whole thing um when i was uh where was i oh i read it in uh, florence as you do but it was one of those ones where like lack of kind of punctuation and things which was clearly done as a sort of writing style and to yeah. be like the i think the character the main character is quite simple um so it's kind of to portray all of that and stuff but yeah it was it was a slog to get through, and I'm still not entirely sure what happened. <laughs> yeah, it's um, he he's a big fan of that because the road is very like s- simplistic as well. But yeah, Blood Meridian. If we if we were doing this list, if we were a book, if we were more cultured, and this was a book podcast, Blood Meridian would be on my list. It is one of my big like dream adaptations because it would be. Yeah. I think I think it would probably be a HBO series at this point. The way things are trending. But it's it is a masterpiece of a book, and again, no idea what the fuck is going on. There's a big yeah. baby sheriff, <laughs> so instead of a star baby, it's a sheriff yeah. baby. Maybe it's um, maybe it's the same one. Maybe the 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 um, the star baby grew up and became a sheriff. Maybe yeah, but he could also possibly be Satan. The star baby or the sheriff baby? The sheriff baby. The sheriff baby could possibly be Satan or some kind of demonic, timeless being. Okay. Um, uh, oh, Child of God is the book I read by him. 
Child of God. Interesting. I will add it to the list. Anyway, yeah, American Psycho. Um, it is nice to see Jared Leto <laughs> it be is hacked nice. apart with. It's nice to see uh, Jared Leto hacked apart by an axe. Yeah. There's the bit where he tries to play catch with a chainsaw, right, as well? Yes, yeah. Or down a, down a flight of stairs. Down a flight of stairs. I haven't seen it for a while. We we talk about American Psycho a lot, don't we? It could possibly yeah. next to, next to the obvious uh, obvious choice of Midsummer. It's definitely one of our most talked about movies. But we haven't picked it that many times. No, we haven't. I don't even. Know. I think this may be the first first time we have picked it. It's also um, so fun fact. I remember this. Uh, so it came out in two thousand. I would have been twelve at the time, and I may have said this before on the podcast, but I convinced my nan to rent this for me from the um from the library <laughs> at, at, at age 12 um Interesting. along with um what was the other one nightmare on elm street i want to say yeah that's uh i don't think she quite knew what she was uh <laughs> quite knew what she was um was renting but um yeah. so my dad was into the uh that the traditional parenting style of I think he would have been fine showing me the gory bits of American Psycho, but there was also yeah. sex. <laughs> se- sex was a no. I can see a, I can see an alien from another world crack open someone's chest, but I, I can't see Christian Bale fucking a prostitute on a bed. <laughs> Does whilst... he then murder her? Yeah, while staring at himself in a mirror. Yeah. Which is a very like, disconcerting wink- scene. And yeah. Yeah. Mm. To be fair, if I resembled, I imagine Chris. Well, if, I, I, yeah, I wonder if Christian Bale does that. Uh, if I, if I if I resembled his physique in American Psycho in any way, I would spend most of my time in front of the mirror. At least, <laughs> at least for the like, if for the at least for the first parts of it, right? Like, yeah. just wake up suddenly looking like that. It will be right. I'm going to sit in front of the mirror and just take this in. <laughs> how did this happen, and how can I keep it? <laughs> yeah. Wait, you mean I need to wake up early, try hard, and change my diet? I'll just, Ugh. I'll just stay like this. We'll, we'll just, I'll just stay like a potato. Yeah, but I do think it is a, it is a, it is a very good film. It's, it's an interesting. It's a good adaptation from a novel. I think. Um, it's, it's close enough. And yeah, I just think that it, it hits. We've spoken about this a few times through these choices, but I think these, these confusing movies that are still really good tend to be the ones where you just have this level of ambiguity and the opportunity to kind of make up your own mind about things so i think it ticks that box and so for me that's why it's it's made my list yeah no i think you're a good choice i always forget reese witherspoon's in it yeah and aforementioned big dick william defoe oh shit yes he (laughs) is because there's the brilliant scene so there's a subreddit uh, movie details, yeah. which this was on. Of there's like the interrogation scene with Willem Dafoe and Kristen Bale, yeah. And apparently they filmed it three different, or filmed Willem Dafoe's reactions three different times. One he played it as if he suspected Patrick Bateman. One they played it as if he didn't suspect pa- Patrick Bateman, and the other one was ambivalent. And then they right. cut. Th- they mixed up how they cut the reactions, so it felt really disconcerting because you couldn't read what Willem Dafoe was doing. Oh, nice. We've yeah. So what that is one, we've Willem Dafoe'd each. Yeah, <laughs> and and then it was mentioned uh, as a possible movie recommendation as well. So yeah, Will- this is the Willem Dafoe episode. Well, this is why uh, 
again, we'll 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 get another jingle in. Uh, so Daryl over from the Nicholas Page, uh, Cage podcast, Cage Rage jingle. Cage podcast. What is that? What is that? What is that? Oh, no, not the beast! Not the beast! Ah! Cage podcast. Yeah. Uh, I believe he is toying with the idea of once he's finished Nicolas Cage doing Willem Dafoe. Can you ever really finish Nicolas Cage? Oh, it would be a it would be a continuous work in progress. But I think the <laughs> title is going to be something like "Getting to Foe You." Nice. Which um, I mean, it's worth it for the title alone, isn't it? Oh yeah, it started me off on a long list of possible retrospective podcast titles. Yeah. So uh, all, all I do is Winslet. Nice. Uh, obviously, when when life gives you lemons. Uh, yeah. Possibly my favourite. Uh, I think we're still alone now. That's very good, yeah. But very good. I, I couldn't think of a Samuel Jackson one. That I listened to uh, another <laughs> another uh, Nicholas Cage podcast. I listened to uh, so yesterday Caged In jingle. Did somebody say Caged In Coppola connections with Petros, Francis, Roman, Sophia, Nicholas Cage? August, Jason Schwartzman, Gia, Adrian from Rocky. I, I, I just love me some Coppola's, mate. I've started started listening to the episode. Yes, it's very good. Yeah, so dropped there. They did. They had four separate Nicolas Cage podcasts on to talk about unbearable weight of massive talent. But they dropped in that there is a podcast called Podro Pascal, <laughs> which goes through nice. Pedro Pascal stuff. It's just like I I don't know why I I just occasionally just sit there. What 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 actor would be? Because I would be more interested, and this says a lot about me. I would take a good pun over a good actor. <laughs> yeah, a pew good man. Oh God, that's good. A pew good man. <laughs> yeah, American Psycho. Um, I think it fits the bill. And in the spirit of being really confusing. We are coming back to the start on this one because we're going to talk about Stanley Kubrick's favourite film. Nice. So Stanley Kubrick would show this. uh, He showed or screened this for the cast and crew of The Shining to get across to them what he was trying to do. uh, Just to point out, not only are we confusing in going back to the start, but we're also Nolaning it as well. So, So, yeah, we're we're hitting all of the uh, beats. we, We have properly pulled a Nolan. So this film is, it was another one similar to Animalisa where I thought, right, we're going to do weird films. I know, I'm going to see what David Lynch has done. And if we're talking good films that we didn't understand, I could only really talk about A Razor Head. So mm. A Razor Head is a film from 1977 it's a film that took six years to make, so he made it at while he was at the American Film Institute. And it is. So my dad watched this growing up and um, had always, from a very young age, I knew that a razor head was the weirdest thing ever made. Right. Like, it was, it was used to mean something weird. So while preparing for this podcast, I messaged, I messaged my dad and said, Hey, Dad. <laughs> I need a voice memo of you summarising a razorhead. 
And this is what he sent me. So I'm just going to play it and we'll actually edit it in. Yes, I saw a razor head when I was 17 years of age uh, for the first time. There was a lot of hype at the time how brilliant a film it was, so uh, I was quite looking forward to it. So I saw it very late at night when my parents were in bed and uh, it was just one ending uh, cycle of weirdness. Yeah, I don't think it's a film you enjoy, more uh, sort of exposed to, really. But once you're exposed to it, you always remember it. And, um, yes, it was very influential to lots of other different films, and uh, I still have no idea what went on. But uh, I think it still stands up today as something that uh, every sort of film buff must have a little look at. So my favourite part about that is, and it's it's just because you've played it, through your microphone and i'm then hearing it back but it sounds like you know when you go to like a world war ii museum and you, <laughs> you press yeah you press the uh thing and there's someone talking about remembering being in the trenches and stuff yeah that's what that sounded like it's like the audio quality of it a razor head remembering it like the trenches does feel not far from the truth but I think I think Dad put it well when he used the phrase, I don't think it's a film you enjoy, more you're exposed to. Like, yeah. that sums up a razor head fucking perfectly. So it was shot in black and white. And yeah, it, it's, it's similar to what I said about Animalisa, but even more polarizing. So this is either a masterpiece or it's shit. Yeah. And there's no middle ground. So and I've only seen the two-minute clip that you sent me last night. That's all I've seen of it. Yes. So I gave I I gave Graham homework. <laughs> uh, do you want to describe the scene that I sent you, and then I'll kind of briefly go through what I could vaguely understand of what happens. Um. So there's there's some people sat around a table. I'm guessing the guy with the big hair is a razor head. Um. He is past a. Poussin, I believe, is the uh, is the correct uh, uh, tiny tiny chicken. chicken, tiny chicken who is asked to carve, asks if he carves it like a normal chicken, um, goes to carve it. The Poussin starts splurting blood from its orifice in um, voluminous amounts that would not fit inside said Poussin, um, and then one of the women at the table seems to either be horrified or quite exhilarated and then has to leave the room and i'm still not entirely sure why any of that happened yeah so i've watched this film and neither do i so i i've got the wikipedia plot up so so this is the opening of the film the man in the planet is moving levers in his home in space while the head of henry spencer who's the main character floats in the sky a spermatozoan-like creature emerges from Henry's mouth, floating into the void. So, wonderful. Henry lives in an apartment with his girlfriend, Mary, and they get invited to dinner with her family, which is the scene you saw with the chickens. Right, okay. Mary then turns out she's pregnant and leaves and abandons the baby with Henry. The baby is like... So it's wrapped in bandages and it just screams and cries. But it doesn't look like a baby. It looks like uh, it's got like an inhuman snake face. And excellent. apparently nobody knows how they came up with that effect. But the rumor is it may have involved a rabbit. Okay. Apparently when filming it, um, they would blindfold the editor 
as they set it up so he couldn't see what how the puppet was made or what it actually was. Right. So that feels weird. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it's Henry being slowly driven insane by this inhuman child thing. And then there's also obviously a lady in the radiator who sings to him. Oh, obviously, yeah. But the lady in the radiator looks like... Do you remember... So, season one of The Mighty Boosh? Vaguely. Do you remember the guy who was made of cheese? Yeah. He is modelled off of the lady in the radiator. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, the cheese is a kind of meat. A tasty yellow... That, that guy. Yeah. Yeah, so he's modelled off of the lady in the radiator. And she, yeah, sings us... At one point, he, like, gets sucked into the radiator and she sings the song to him and it's just a music like just a long shot of her singing and then at one point like his head gets turned into razors and uh oh i'm gonna cry <laughs> sorry yeah um so just just to just to wrap up our summary of whatever the fuck the plot is so this this is the last couple of sentences on Wikipedia, right? So again, this okay. isn't this may be the end of the film, but to call it a spoiler is under underestimating what this film is, right? So the power in the room overloads, causing the lights to flicker. As they flick on and off, the child grows to huge proportions. As the light burns out completely, the child's head is replaced by the planet seen at the beginning. Henry appears amidst a billowing cloud of eraser shavings. The side of the planet bursts open and inside, the man in the planet struggles with his levers, which are now emitting sparks. Henry is embraced warmly by the lady in the radiator as both white light and white noise builds to a crescendo before the screen turns black and silent. Wonderful. Welcome to the end of the movie. It is hugely divisive, obviously, because it is so fucking weird. So I was looking through Rotten Tomatoes and the reviews like alternate so predominantly they're positive, but you do get some like really, really negative. Because again, no one thinks this film is okay. Yeah. It's either a masterpiece or it's shit. So you get reviews like, it's beautiful and strange with its profoundly disturbing ambient sound design of industrial groaning, as if filmed inside some collapsing factory of gigantic dying organism. Compare that with nothing more than a pretentious, incoherent, and boring exercise in self-indulgent weirdness. <laughs> Online Film Critics Society put it as the second best directorial debut of all time. Wow, okay. Uh, just behind Citizen Kane, which I always forget was a directorial debut, but also I've never seen it. I just use it in a sentence because I'm a pretentious cunt. Yeah, I mean, and also, um, it, the thing that annoys me with Citizen Kane is no one ever talks about Citizen Undertaker, and I just think <laughs> that they should come as a pair. The citizen brotherhoods of were they the brotherhood of Dis the brothers of brotherhood of destruction brothers of destruction something brothers like of that? destruction something yeah. like that yeah ah uh, citizen the undertaker yeah I um so I've not seen a huge amount of David Lynch stuff but I have two favorite David Lynch things one is um the the Netflix monkey thing what did is it what did Jack do is that was something called? like that yeah yeah which is a short I think it was like. 20 minutes long or something and it was um insane talking about like things that are confusing um, because it's basically a detective interrogating a, a monkey that's suspected of um having committed a murder which i think is genius um but my favorite david lynch thing is the twitter account david lynch saying it's friday once again have you heard this no 
every Friday. So apparently, David Lynch does a as does a daily weather report on YouTube. Huh. But every Friday, he introduces it in the same way. Let me play to you. Said thing. It's May thirteen, two thousand twenty-two, and if you can believe it, okay, it's a Friday once again. I mean, it's... awesome. <laughs> so there's there's a Twitter account um, at DL every Friday, um, and they just clip that part of him because he introduces the same way every Friday and they play it every Friday. Um so yeah, that's that's my favorite David Lynch thing. Yeah, so my my fa- if we're just talking my favorite David Lynch thing, my favorite thing about David Lynch, especially when he made a razor head, I just sent you a photo, is that he would look exactly like my dad. Um, opening phone finding Ian opening Ah yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Right. So, <laughs> yes. so there are photos of my dad when he was David Lynch's age when he made a razor head, and they could be twins. <laughs> You're going to say there were photos of my dad when he was David Lynch. <laughs> yeah, there are photos <laughs> of my dad when he was David Lynch. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, he, he's done a lot of really cool, weird shit. Have you have you watched Mulholland Drive? No, I haven't. So Mulholland Drive is one that I could have picked for today as well because again, it, it, it's it's incredible, but fuck knows. Yeah. To bring it back, again, to really bring it back to the beginning, he's also adapted Dune. Yes. But I, as a filmmaker, I, I, I've i got a lot of time for anyone who is clearly just making films for themselves. Oh, I mean, he gives zero shits about what anyone thinks. Right? Oh, yeah. I watched A Razorhead a while ago now, and it's still, like, yeah, it still lives in my mind. I still occasionally wake up in, like, a cold sweat. Just thinking about scenes from it because it is so fucking borderline obnoxiously surreal. I have, I think David Lynch has even said like so, kind of what we said about the the lighthouse in two thousand and one. Um, David Lynch has said that he has a very set idea of what everything means. Yeah, but it's obviously open to interpretation, and he has said on record, which you know he's bound to say that nobody has quite got what he meant yet. Um, so there is a load of theories out there the most prevalent one is it's all symbolising like fear of fatherhood and things like that right and family and loneliness and things like that you know yeah I I think it's probably just a commentary on um, on the introduction of central heating <laughs> yeah it is, it is actually a, a, a detailed visual essay on the importance of radiator health <laughs> Make sure you bleed your radiators, people. <laughs> yeah, if you're taking one thing from today's episode, <laughs> bleed your radiators. But yeah, it is. It's incredible. I haven't stopped thinking about it since watching it literally like fucking 10 years ago. It, it, it is wild and I could not even begin to tell you what the fuck is going on. I legitimately don't know if I think it's a masterpiece or if I think it's shit. Yeah, which is... um, It's... Yeah, I was... <laughs> to, to, to quote my dad, it's not a film you enjoy; it's a film you're you're exposed to, and I think that really fucking hits the nail on the head. I I, I would agree, given that I felt exposed to that uh, that one scene that you sent me. So um, yeah, I I think that's fair. That was our choices for favorite movies we didn't understand. Uh, so so 
it, it's your turn to pick your what what is the top three of your three and then we will again point of the podcast which we should probably mention more in the intro is we will then figure out between us which of these six makes our final top three sorry there's a there's a point to this <laughs> <laughs> to some of these film choices i don't know um so the top three of my three um I think third place has to be Tenet. I think, as I mentioned, like from a feat of filmmaking, from the point of view of really interesting, from an action point of view, some very good acting, it is a good movie. But my slight issue with it is that there's, as we discussed, it's kind of, there's a prescribed story there that's just far too complicated to follow. And I don't think that is warrants it kind of in upper echelons here. Second place, American Psycho. I think it's just a very, very good movie that is left with a really interesting, ambiguous ending. And then first place, 2001 Space Odyssey. I think without a doubt is one of the best films of all time. It has some particularly confusing bits, but again, they're all open to interpretation. And I think there's the added element here, certainly from 2001, that I have had a lot of kind of additional enjoyment outside of the watching the film itself and kind of reading the essays around it, trying to kind of unpick and understand what other people think as well. So yeah, for me, 2001, um, absolutely top spot. Nice. I've just, I've just realized when looking through mine that apparently I'm just confused by black and white films. <laughs> Where's the two, color? Two of, yeah. And then my, my one film that isn't black and white is stop motion. Yeah. So that's nice. So Top three of my three. Uh, number three, I'm going Animalisa. Um, I think it is one of my favourite films, but it is a bit easier to understand. It is more ambiguous than confusing. Yeah. Um, so I think I understood it more than the other two. And then number one and number two is fucking difficult. I think I'm going to put a razor head number two. Yeah. Just because I-, I think they are very, they're very, very similar in that I think they are both... They're both incredible films. Uh, I love both of them, but I definitely love the lighthouse. Yeah, like the light, the lighthouse. It, it was, I, I, it was, it was definitely a masterpiece that I didn't understand. While a Razorhead is definitely a film I didn't understand that could be a masterpiece or could be one of the worst films ever made. Yeah, and I think there's that's that's the distinction there, right? The, um... Yeah, yeah. Like I, th- I, I, I'm leaning towards it being a, a surrealist masterpiece, but also, fuck, man, it's so weird. I cannot, I cannot convey into words how weird a razor head is. I mean, you've done, you've done a fairly good job. <laughs> yeah, the chicken and the ra- the. Uh... So, so, the top three. What, what, we, of what, those what top we thinking? Threes, um, what I... are we thinking for the combined top three? I would go personally number one. 2001 a space odyssey number two uh the lighthouse bloody love that film and then number three i think purely because i think it is a good film and doesn't necessarily have that query of maybe it's absolutely terrible um american psycho uh, number three i think the answer to this question is 2001 a space (laughs) odyssey really if we're being honest with ourselves and the world i think it's the boring obvious but correct answer yeah Lighthouse, I definitely put number two. I, I, it's a tough one when you haven't seen a Razorhead. Yeah, I guess. From if if we're following the, if if we're following the hypothesis that you definitely liked American Psycho. Yeah. 
I I can I can get that and and I can appreciate it. But I, the Razorhead was so fucking weird. <laughs> I I have more for me that then rebalances that I have more of an idea of what happened in American Psycho than I could even dream of having it with a Razorhead. I, I guess the I guess these things are being ranked on two two factors, right? Can, how yeah. confusing they are and how enjoyable they were and. American Psycho is high on the axis for enjoyability and um, lower on the confusing, but still has elements of confusing. And then Eraserhead is the, the flip reverse of that, right? Because that is high on the confusing aspect, but there's doubt over the enjoyability. So yeah. Oh, enjoyability is the wrong word. <laughs> I did. Uh, there, I cannot say I enjoyed Eraserhead. <laughs> I, I experienced it. Yeah. But enjoy is not the right word. <laughs> no. So, yeah, I guess maybe we need to do some complex weighting system, you know, pop, pop, it, pop a few numbers into Excel, let them, let them fight it out and, um, and figure out what's, what, the, what the real answer is here. Or we could just decide between the two films. Or we could just decide between the two two films. Or do we go really out of left field and put the starlight barking? <laughs> <laughs> Number three, 102 Dalmatians. The Starlight film. The Starlight Barking is definitely the star of this episode. Yeah, okay, how about this then? We'll put, we'll, we'll go Eraserhead 3 on the proviso that you sort us out tickets to go see it at the Prince Charles. And then if it, if once we've seen it, we'll have a, we'll, we'll have a, debate about whether it holds this position or if we need to bring Patrick Bateman into it out. So we, we we will release at some point in August like the Eraserhead special. Yeah, which is five minutes of us going, eh? <laughs> I don't know what's <laughs> happening. Get me the radiator yeah. key. Yeah, alright, yeah, I can um uh okay, yeah, I, that that is fine. I will I will concede to your terms, good sir. <laughs> uh a razorhead is penciled in. <laughs> That's a bad fucking joke. I actually uh, I think it's one of your better ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that which says a lot. That says more about me than the joke. So yeah, a, a razorhead is penciled in uh until uh we manage to expose ourselves to it again. Um okay, so the podcast nobody asked for's top three favorite movies we didn't understand. Uh, coming in at number three, for the time being at least, is A Razorhead. Number two is The Lighthouse. And number one is 2001 A Space Odyssey. If you agree with our choices, if there's any other films that you love but aren't actually sure if you understand it, what the fuck was going on, you can find us on Instagram at the podcast nobody asked for. And you can also find us on Patreon and become a friend of the podcast uh, where you get loads of stuff and generally just help us make this podcast become even bigger and better and more awesome and stuff like that. If you want to see us um, frequently retweet um, David Lynch saying it's Friday once again on Twitter, you can. Uh, if you follow us at NobodyAskedForPod with the number four, you can also find it at the same place on Facebook. And we have a website, the podcastwrs4.co.uk, which has all of the wonderful links and things that you need in order to praise the podcast. So uh, if you do want to praise the podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to our podcast. Uh, because, yeah, reviews really, really do help us out. And in your review, put any future ideas for any episodes and we will do the best one. Yeah, although you can no longer listen to us on Acast as of next week, which is really annoying. They're getting rid of the app. 
Oh really? Yeah, you can. Uh, they're I think they're going full into the the like production side of things. So um, they're they're stopping it as a listening app, which is really annoying because ah. it's the app I use. Oh, that sucks. Uh, well, I, I I use Pocket Cast because at the time it was the only one that would sync with Sonos speakers. Right. And now it's got all of like my listening stats on, and I'm not ready to leave those and start again. <laughs> Because how many hours of podcasts do you think I have listened to since the 6th of August 2018? Um, or at least a thousand. Yeah, so 10 hours and 78 days. Ugh, no one asked for this.